Before I read uh, today's scripture, I thought it only appropriate. We don't do this all the time, but I figured this was a wonderful example of someone who married above himself. The Mullins are celebrating their 63rd wedding anniversary. <laughs> 63 years is a long time, right? We could do a book, A Long Time with Don, right? That would be. Congratulations to both of you. Blessings this day. I want to read very, very quickly um, a scripture today, and Taylor will certainly refer to it. But I wonder if you would follow along with me on the screen or in your Bibles. As we go to 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, the seventh and the eighth verse, and this is what's written. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. God's blessing on the reading of his word. This is the word of God for the people of God. He grew up in Danville, attended Calvary Baptist Church, graduated from Boyle County High School. 2001. He pitched, played third base on the baseball team, 12th region champions, that's in in 2001. He was a baseball hall of fame inductee there at Boyle County. He was a kicker for the football team, 1999, 2000, undefeated state champions. You won't get much cheers now, but later on you'll get lots of cheers for that. Also in the football hall of fame, he also played soccer. Is there anything that you don't do? No, I just kiss. Taylor attended the University of Kentucky from 2001-2005. He was a four-year starter for the football team. He earned bachelor's and master's degrees in electrical engineering. And while there, he was named the ESPN Academic All-American Team, SEC Player of the Week, UK Male Scholar Athlete of the Year. And he continued working after he graduated, worked in in, in Lexington as an engineer. And then he returned to school and received his Ph.D. in finance from the University of Michigan in 2014. After graduated, he worked overseas in uh, the London Business School as a finance professor. And Taylor, his wife Becky, his daughter June Claire, they are in St. Louis now today while Taylor is with us because he is a professor at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. It has been said that uh, Taylor and Becky kind of saved each other in many respects, and I'm sure they went through a lot when June Claire was diagnosed with her protein deficiency. I know you prayed. I know you pray constantly. I know you do a Bible study with this man down here every week, very close-knit family. Taylor professed his faith in Jesus Christ, was baptized at Calvary, but it's been said that he experienced his greatest season of growth in faith while he was at Ann Arbor and the University of Michigan. It is my distinct honor and my pleasure not to present Mr. or Dr. or Professor, but as a brother in Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Taylor Begley. Good morning. Good morning. Yep, 
be patient with me. I'll set up this device timer here. Your pastor said I only have two and a half hours. And so I'll stay within those uh, time constraints. Now, you threw me for a loop. You started talking about marrying above yourself. And, of course, Becky grew up in this church, and I thought, you know, this man has the power of convicting people in the pew, and uh, I certainly felt uh, convicted there. Um, So I am uh, delighted to be here. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces. I I did grow up uh, in this area, and when the opportunity came about to give a bit of my testimony uh, and a word of encouragement, um, it actually pushed me a a little bit out of my comfort zone, and that's a good thing. It's something I've actually been praying for for some time as an opportunity to push me in this direction, and this uh, certainly uh, lent itself um, to maybe professing my faith a little bit more broadly to a wide audience. And, you know, when you're given this opportunity... Um, started thinking about, you know, what can I spend my time? I've only been allotted uh, so much time here, and how do I want to spend this? Well, first, you know, I thought, well, I could go back and I could talk a bit about uh, my glory days there at the University of Kentucky, Uh, but then I kind of went and flipped through some old programs and come to find out we only had one winning season when I was there. And, uh, and we were on probation that year, so we didn't get to go to a bowl game. So I thought, well, that's not going to take but two or three minutes, so I, I better move on from that. You know, we think about Danville and Boyle County, and so we could talk about the struggle between evil and good. Okay, that, that, that might work. Uh, uh, but I thought maybe that would, uh, you know, not be appropriate. But, but more seriously, as I thought, I thought, you know, what is something that I would have found helpful uh, when I was a younger person, when I was 16, 17, 18, and things that I continue to find helpful today. And as I think about my faith and I think about football, I see a lot of parallels. Okay, I see a lot of the fundamentals that were driven into me from a young age, and especially under Coach Smith at Boyle County, of just nailing the fundamentals. Okay, Nailing sort of the, the first moving parts. Nailing the playbook and how important these things are if you want to have success in football. And I think these have broad application and specific applications to our Christian life. And so I thought maybe I would talk a little bit about my time at UK and the disciplines and the rigors uh, that it put on the time and the effort that it's required and how that applies to our Christian life and the blessings uh, that I have experienced in great measure as a result. So I'll read our, our text one more time in First Timothy where it says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So let me pray really quickly. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text that you have given us, that it is perfect, um, that it is helpful for right living and for our flourishing and for bringing glory to you. I pray that you would help me to be faithful and to be clear, to be bold but be gentle, and that uh, most importantly that this would be pleasing to you. I ask these things in your son's name. Amen. So, when you play football, especially at a high level, but even um, you know at the high school level, It dominates your time. It dominates your time. It takes up almost uh, every single day you're going to be doing something that is related to your training. Okay, And the funny thing is with football, it's not like baseball where you have 162 games a year. We've got 10, 15 game days. So the other 350 uh, days of the year, any given day that you grab, it's going to be training. It's going to be individual workouts. It's going to be 
going to practice, it's going to be reviewing film. And as I think about the Christian life, we need to be busy every day about doing such training, such preparation, all right, such disciplining, um, and training ourselves for godliness. If, as we look at the text here, you can look at a couple of different translations to really pull the meat out of that key point of training ourselves for godliness. Uh, the NIV says, train yourself to be godly. The NASB says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The New King James says, exercise yourself for godliness. So this training, this is not just something that's in passing. It is a self-sacrificing. It is a strenuous. um, It is a difficult thing that we go about on a regular basis. But the training isn't the ends. The training is just the means. The the ends here is godliness. Of course, we could spend a great deal of time and maybe have arguments about what godliness means in particular, but we can probably agree that it's having a right attitude, a right response, and general conduct towards God. It's being more Christ-like. And so we should spend a lot of time disciplining ourselves for godliness. And so as I go about this, I want to go through sort of the life of a, of a, of a college athlete and to talk about the individual preparation, again, the practice and the film, and how that relates to our Christian life and, again, the blessings that I personally have had as a result of those disciplines. So when you think about being a player, okay, especially when you're a kicker. So I was a field goal kicker, right? And stereotypes don't come from nowhere, so the kickers are kind of off by themselves, right? The team is over here doing their thing sometimes. They're running skelly or seven-on-seven, and I'm over here by myself. I'll say, so a lot of the success that you're going to have, particularly in that position, are things that you're doing when nobody else is looking. Okay, you could be over there goofing off. You could sneak on into the player's lounge and shoot pool. But a lot of the development, whether you're going to make the team, whether you're going to earn a scholarship, whether you're going to play, okay, and if you're going to have accolades and advance to the next level, a lot of that's going to be determined by what you do on your own time. And that starts with a variety of things. That has to do with your nutrition. It has to do with getting into the playbook. It has to do with your weight training and your running. It has to do with staying out of trouble. And the same is true in the spiritual life. A lot of who that we're going to be for God, for our family, for our church, for our friends, are things that are done when nobody else is looking. It's at 5 a.m. when you feel the Bible open and start to study. It's at lunchtime when you take a little bit of a break for prayer with God. A lot is going on when nobody is looking. And I think the first thing that we learned when we got up to Nutter, Nutter Training Facility at UK is a big, long, boring talk on nutrition. What do you take into your body? Because we know we're going to be in the weight room. They can monitor that. They know that we're going to be running. But you've got to have the right nutrition. If you're just eating a bunch of garbage, a lot of that stuff that you're doing in the weight room is going to be of no use. So do you all remember, when I I went up to the U.K., there was a quarterback that was there. He was a rather portly fellow, number 22, Jared Lorenzen. Yeah? Okay, it hasn't been that long ago, but it has been some time. Uh, But he always battled with his weight. And I remember one, uh, one summer particularly, he'd been given an ultimatum that said, look, Jared, you've got to be under 300 pounds by the time the season starts. And he was in there working. I would get in there early in the morning at Nutter, and he would be in the, uh, he'd be on the treadmills, and he'd be on the stair climbers. And he wouldn't just be working them. He'd be working them, and he'd be in this full sweatsuit, okay, trying to get maximum sweat. And on top of that, he would wear a trash bag over top of the sweatsuit to keep the heat even hotter. And as the summer drew near and it was closer... He actually had a bike moved into the sauna so that he could sweat even more and get his weight down, but he wasn't losing weight. He said, look, I'm eating the grilled chicken. I'm eating the rice. 
I don't know what's going on. I'm doing all this work. Well, come to find out, as soon as he'd do all that sweating and he finished up, you know those big one-gallon things of Hawaiian punch? <laughs> that was his nutrition, okay? So you burn off a 1,000, then you put 1,500 calories back in you. So sometimes things that are not even, uh, you know, intentional sometimes. It's all of our nutrition, and as Christians, we're constantly tra- taking in nourishment for uh, our minds and our hearts, whether it's going to be conversations with people, whether it's going to be social media, uh, the television, the radio, YouTube. All this is the nutrition that we're taking in. And so I think we have to be very diligent about monitoring that nutrition. And the nutrition should form its basis. You know, I think back to our health class. You had the food pyramid. I know there have been several regimes. There was the four food groups, and then there was the food pyramid, and we moved on from that. But remember there was that fat base of breads and uh, uh, rices and things like that. The basis of our nutrition needs to be God's Word. There's going to be a lot of other garbage. We're going to have a little spot at the top of that triangle that is for sweets, right? One or less servings. Um, but the basis of that pyramid needs to be God's Word. And I think as we go and we consume that, we will develop even more desire to have it. I mean, it tells us in First Peter 2 that like newborn infants, we should long for that pure spiritual milk that will nourish us. Right? It tells us in Jeremiah, uh, who's talking about the Word, he says, Your words are sweet. Your words I found, and I ate them, and they became to me a joy and a delight in my heart. And of course, we, uh, we'll all know uh, Matthew 4, 4, that says, Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. And I just think about times in my life. If I was given one piece of bread for every word of God that I was taking in, I would have starved to death. Okay, it's rich nutrition that we have to be taking in. So train yourself for godliness. One of the other things that they give us as soon as we get into Nutter is our playbook. Okay? Now, I understand. I'm a kicker. What do I got? I got one play. Kick it through the uprights. Right? Okay? But I lived with the defensive end. I lived with the tight end. And so I've seen a real live version of a playbook. Okay? And it's pretty thick. And it's something that they have to master. Right? You have to get in there in the evenings. You got to know what the calls are. You got to learn to develop and understand the offensive and defensive philosophies. Okay, saturating your mind with that truth because when you're in the game and they call an audible, you know, you don't have time to go ask your neighbor. You know, the coach isn't going to be pleased if you say, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, I should be that. You're going to blow your responsibilities. Okay, and so our playbook is our Bible and we've got to saturate ourselves. When we see audibles and when audibles are called in our life, we face different situations. If we don't have our mind saturated in the playbook, we're not going to know how to respond. And one thing that's nice is our playbook never changes. When I was recruited, Tony Franklin was the offensive coordinator. He had a playbook. A year or two later, Brent Peace was the offensive coordinator. He had a different playbook, different terminology. Then came Ron Hudson, different playbook, different terminology. And then Joker Phillips. Our playbook doesn't change. Investments we make in mastering that playbook and understanding how to work from it it's not going to be in vain. There's no, going to be no regime change that we have to worry about. And the beautiful thing is that I found, when I finally decided to pop open my playbook, is there's instructions for everything in there. From the mundane things about how we interact with one another, with our authorities. What's actually kind of striking is, surprisingly, it speaks in pretty detailed language about some of the most pressing cultural issues that we have today. It's in here. We don't have to freelance. It's in there, so we have to be getting into our playbook. Another thing, beyond just instructions for fruitful living, 
there are a lot of promises in here. Okay, so my junior year when we're going down to Tennessee, I talked about I've had, we had 150 different offensive coordinators, but Ron Hudson had just exited and Joker Phillips was hired mid-season. Okay, and I asked Joker that week, I said, I said, well, I didn't call him Joker, I said Coach Phillips. I said, Coach Phillips, what you got for us this week? And he says, Beg, he called me Beg. Beg, I got a sure thing. Okay, there's no sure things in football, right? There's no, I mean, there might be something that works 95% of the time, but there's no sure thing. The nice thing about our playbook is we've got an ocean of sure things in here. But if we don't take the time to study the playbook, we don't know that they're there. We don't know that we have those promises that are absolutes. Do any of us lack wisdom? Well, there's a play for that. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Hey, that's a sure thing. Anybody ever tempted and think maybe, maybe there's no way out? We've got to play in our playbook for that one too. If we look at 1 Corinthians 10, it says God will be faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation will also provide you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So you think there's no way out? Playbook says there's a way out. We've got to master our playbook. What about forgiveness? Maybe we've indulged in that temptation. You think there's no way of getting back. We've got to play for that. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. These are promises. These aren't most of the time things. These are things that are absolutes. What about salvation and security? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, or this ought to help you out some. You will be saved. This is a promise that we have in our playbook. If you're not in your playbook, you won't know that you've got that. What about one that's one of the most often quoted? We get in difficult situations, and it says, Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things are working for our good that love him. That's not a promise that we're always going to understand it. You know, spring of uh, 2017, my dad got diagnosed with metastatic melanoma, stage 4 cancer. Last fall, he died. God doesn't promise that he's going to tell me exactly why that happens and why it happens that particular way, but you know what he does say? He says it's working out for good. And I could lean on that. I know that promise is true. And as time goes on, I can see the good that sometimes comes out of it, though it's very painful to think about, right? That's a promise that we can go to and we can take to the bank. So we've got to know our playbook. Train yourself for godliness. So I'll pause a little bit on the ranting and raving, and I'll tell you a little bit about my own testimony. Okay? Uh, as the pastor mentioned here, uh, I grew up here in the church and was baptized at Calvary. Uh, but again, my, my season of greatest spiritual growth was in Ann Arbor, Michigan. About eight years ago, uh, and as many of these stories often go, uh, man falls upon hard times, right? So, so I was in a little bit of a difficult spot. I was looking to God. I realized I was 28 years old, gone to church my whole life, whenever the doors were open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, okay? 28 years of this, right? I'd never sat down and read a single book in the Bible. Pieces and parts, yeah. I listened to many sermons. But I'm a little embarrassed to say that I'd gone that far and I'd not, I'd not seriously engaged the Word of God. 
Okay? So on the advice of a good friend, I, I just started with the book of John. And you know what? I was absolutely struck. There are some hard parts of this book, but I was absolutely struck how clear, how immediately understandable and applicable God's Word is. Sure, there are parts that are complex and hard to understand, but I, it was just amazing. I mean, John six twenty seven says, Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. I can understand that. That's pretty simple. Right? John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's pretty simple. And as I continued to read, you know, I was amazed at the exclusivity of the gospel, especially in our current cultural climate. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. That's pretty exclusive. I was struck by these things. And many of you have lived this your entire life and known, but I just want to encourage those that have not experienced the blessings of digging into this book. Holy smokes, there's all kinds of good stuff there. Okay? And so I, I continued, and I picked up this Bible reading plan from, uh, from the church there that took me through the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once, and it absolutely changed my life. There's nothing that has happened in this life that has changed the way that I live, the way that I look at things, the way that I handle myself more than getting into God's Word. It changed me then. It changed me the next week, the next month. It changes me today. It's a radical book. And it's life-changing. And I just want to share that with you all because, I don't know, I guess I was in a malaise for a long time, but it absolutely struck me. I never knew the broad power and applicability of the Word. I knew the, never knew the wisdom that was in there. One other thing, though, it's not all good news. Okay? I never clearly, I don't think, understood the extent and cost of my sin. I never really understood how helpless and hopeless I was apart from the blood of Christ. I never understood that. Reading God's Word showed me that. And boy, you go to love somebody a whole lot more when you see uh, the tough bind that they pull you out of. What a blessing that was to my life. So I, I plead with you today. The words in your Bible, the words for this life, the words for salvation, I ask you, will you read them? Train yourself for godliness. Back to UK. I got a little heavy there for a minute. Back to UK. Practice is an essential part of any team, right? The first thing I went, uh, went through whenever I went to the University of Kentucky was not through uh, the academic advisors, right? I, I went through a program of electrical engineering, and uh, it is a pretty challenging program, not a lot of availability in different sections of the class, and I knew it was going to be difficult. But the first thing they did is they said, hey, Taylor, here's when your practice times are. All right? You can't take any classes uh, from 8 in the morning until 1 o'clock on these certain days of the week and uh, see if you can squeeze in your schedule around that. Okay? Practice is an essential thing. It takes all the raw tools that you have from your individual workouts. It takes, for example, the speed and the power and the knowledge of the plays and it puts it all together. But you've got to be there to practice. Right? You've got to put these things into practice. And practice wasn't optional, as you can see, from laying out that schedule. They didn't say, oh, go make your schedule, and if you have time, see if you can make it over to the, uh, to the field house and practice with you, right? I can't imagine going to Coach Smith uh, at Bull County one day and say, you know, I was planning on coming to practice today, but somebody and I got into this, 
video game here. We're just close to beating this level, and uh, maybe I'll check with you tomorrow. Practice isn't something that we did if nothing better came along. It's something that was the first thing that we put on our schedule and everything else built around, uh, built around that. Okay? Now, we can quibble whether that's the right model for higher education or not. Probably not. Uh, but certainly in our life, I think that there's application there. That the time for us to do our spiritual disciplines should have the sort of first claim on our life, and everything else should build around that. It shouldn't just be sort of the residual claimant on our, on our time. I mean, obviously, if we just practice one hour a week. Now, I said that we weren't world beaters. We didn't win SEC championships. But I expect we'd have been a lot worse if we'd have just shown up an hour and a half a week for practice. Yeah? And this is also an important time that we come together as a team. Right? I can go out there on the practice fields and hit balls all day long. You know, I can knock 50-yard field goals and feel like I'm a world beater, but buddy, it's a whole different world whenever you've got a snap and a hold and a line and people that are coming at you. You've got all day on the practice fields. Okay? When I'm up there and I'm getting ready to kick a field goal, I've got 1.2 seconds from the time the long snapper moves the ball to when it's exited my foot. Okay? If we don't come together and work as a team, we'll never get synced up. We'll never have that opportunity to grow and to be uh, successful with one another, and that applies in the church too. Certainly we've got our individual disciplines. Certainly we've got to do our own business with God individually, but we should also come together and work on that coordination. And that's why, that's why uh, God has instituted the church, right? I think about it in football. There are so many times whenever you can encourage a brother that's out there. Get after him if he's going half speed. Bring him in whenever he's getting ready to go out one Friday night and make some bad decisions. The same applies in the church, right? It, uh, the Proverbs tell us, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Train yourself for godliness. We should be encouraging one another. Right? Hebrews 10, uh, chapter 10 tells us, and let us consider how to stir one another up. Right? On the football field, I'm trying to stir my brothers up to actually get some wins out here. Right? We should be stirring one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit is of some. So we've got to train ourselves for that godliness. You live together life's up and downs. My freshman year, I think I saw the pinnacle, and I also saw uh, the depth. So the first game that I had, we went up to Louisville. It was 1,000 degrees to Papa, Papa John Stadium. Dave Ragone was running his Heisman campaign. Uh, they were 17th ranked, uh, and we were able to go and take them down. Grab the Governor's Cup, high point. Boy, it was nice to have brothers and sisters there that I could rejoice with. Yeah? A few weeks later, I believe it was November, you know, I kicked this field goal. It puts us ahead against Nick Saban and LSU. I'm carried off the field. Rah, rah, rah. Many of you know how that ends. 70-yard pass with no time left on the clock. Fans are on the field, but we actually lose the game. That's the downs. As Christians, we need to have people that ride the highs and keep us in check then, that are with us in the lows. In Romans, uh, it tells us, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. There's nothing like a brother or sister to come alongside you in those moments and offer true words of comfort. Train yourself for godliness. Last element where I'll try to draw a comparison here is uh, I think one thing that the average uh, person does not realize uh, as far as the time commitment of the football player is the time in the film room. A huge amount of time is devoted to studying film, and it has two aspects. Okay, Monday morning, you get in the film room, and if you've got Mississippi State coming up this week, you start studying Mississippi State film. You know what the enemy, what the opponent is going to be planning out. You want to see 
what kind of formations they're going to have, what they're going to be doing to try to uh, score on you or to stop you from scoring. So you spend some time looking in advance and knowing how to respond. A lot of the work in the Christian life, that happens right here, right? Knowing what we're going to be up against in the culture. But there's another important aspect on that, and one that um, I certainly struggle with at times right now too, but it, it sometimes goes underappreciated, and that is sort of the hot wash after the game. Whenever you watch and you look at the prior Saturday's games, right? There's an old thing they like to say at UK, and they thought they were so funny, and it was funny once and then not after that, but the eye in the sky doesn't lie, right? You might be able to fool the coach on Saturday and say, hey, I wasn't holding. I wasn't offsides. I didn't commit that penalty. I didn't blow that coverage. But by George, there's a camera upstairs. And when it comes to the film room, you're going to have an opportunity to make an explanation for that and say, sorry, coach, I see my error. I'm not going to do it again. And so in our life, I think it, one thing that we need to try to push ourselves to do, and this is a discipline, it's not easy, but to spend that time reflecting on how we spend our time, what we do, how we interact. Okay, call our sins by their name. Okay, I don't think I, we could have gotten away at UK and say, sorry, coach, for all my mistakes, let's move on. Okay, you'd have to say, look, on that one play, here's what I did wrong, and here's how I'm going to correct it. And I think that there's a big part um, of our lives that can be benefited a lot. We're commanded to do so, right, in our Christian life, to identify these things and to repent of them. So let's train ourselves for godliness. So I've been up here talking for a bit, and you might say, hey, man, this sounds a lot like work. You know, why well, do this? Uh, you know, I used to be a ball player, but now I'm an economist, right? And what do economists do? Well, we won't get into that. One thing we do is we take and we break everything down into costs and benefits. Okay, so to be sure, this is work. To be sure, true faithful Christianity comes at great cost, right? Uh, my father-in-law, one of his favorite verses to quote and debate and study is, um, is in uh, the book of Luke, and it's when uh, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There's no pulling of punches here. We know that the Christian life is going to be costly. The football teams that I'm going to talk to a little bit later today, you know they've been paying great costs. They've been doing the weights. They've been running gassers in the heat. Okay, they've been paying great costs. But if you think at the end of the year, if they're up hoisting those championship trophies, are they going to be saying, boy, it was so costly to do that extra five reps on the bench press. Or I wish I wouldn't have run that extra gasser. No. That's not it at all. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. What is it doing? It's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, the temporary pains, those are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Let me be clear about one thing. I don't want to be mischaracterized. No amount of work, no amount of effort, no amount of trying is going to be sufficient to save us. Only our personal faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ is going to do that. Let me be clear about that. What pleases God is obedience that's going to be rooted in faith. We're not going to have perfect obedience, and that's where Christ comes in. Okay? Only the perfect life and the shed blood of this God-man on the cross and our faith in him and his resurrection on the third day 
is going to give us right standing, where he exchanged his perfect righteousness to us, and our sin was born by him. It's through Christ alone that we have that hope, not our own efforts. But training ourselves for godliness does make us aware of some of these things. It help us to, helps us to draw down on some of the many gifts that he's given us. And we know that if we pray, that the Holy Spirit will come alongside of us, will help us during those disciplines as we execute those, and will help us to grow. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So as I conclude here, I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for bearing with me as I did a little bit of uh, ranting and raving. And I just want to leave you with this. You know, I encourage you about these things, and I plead with you about some of these things today because I struggle with them myself. I'd like to go back and uh, take some of the time that, uh, and erase some of the time that I'd wasted not practicing some of these things. I know that they're true. I know that they're true. They're, They're right here in our Bible. And I encourage you, and exhort you about these things, not because I've mastered them, but because as I look back and I think about this, the seasons of my life that have been the sweetest, that have been the most satisfying, that have been the most contented, that have been the most joyful, that have been the most fruitful, and in my view have been the most useful for God, have been those when I have been busiest about training myself for godliness. Thank you all.